Beehive Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Joe Bees. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Beehive Sports Podcast. A lot of stuff to get to today. I uh, just want to start by saying if you haven't had a chance, uh, check out episode 13, Me, Myself, and Rye podcast. I shared the link on the Facebook page. I was honored to be a guest on uh, Ryan Klein's show. Got to interview me regarding some law enforcement stuff. So it's it was a good episode. It was a lot of fun and I want to thank him again for having me. So we're going to get started opening segment with, uh, you know, some of the current stuff going on. And if uh, the NFL vaccine memo that was given out to teams, memo sent to the teams, tier one, tier two employees are expected to be vaccinated unless two reasons, one, an underlying medical reason or two religious reasons. They're also encouraging teams to hold vaccination days and educational programs to encourage vaccinations to staff and players. So we'll get into what tier one and tier two employees are. Tier one would be your, your basically your frontline employees as far as having contact with players. So your coaches, your trainers, tier two uh, was described as general managers, assistant coaches and football operations employees. So If they refuse without a approved reason, they will be banned from the football only restricted areas and they can't work directly with players or in close proximity to players. So going back to the approved reasons, underlying medical reason and religious reasons. So to me, it seems like they're kind of leaving the door open for people to say no to getting it because anybody could come up with you know, their religious reason, obviously an underlying medical reason. They may ask for proof uh, from a doctor or whatever, but the religious reasons, they can come up with anything they want. I actually kind of tried that myself at work with the beard policy. I wanted to grow a beard and uh, I tried to convince Joe Spreveri that I was converting to Muslim. He didn't buy it. So fail on my part, but you know, that was more of all in fun, clearly. Whereas, you know, here, who, who are they to, who's going to be the deciding person on what religious reasons are good? Or is that person actually religious? Or are they saying it because they don't want a vaccine? It's going to be hard to tell. But to me, it just seems like the NFL saying, hey, look, we care. We want people to be vaccinated. But hey, all you employees who don't want to get it. We kind of gave you a, a backdoor into not having to get the vaccine. So the players at this time are not required, which I, well, I kind of understand why. I mean, the NFL is working with the NFLPA to change the protocols on that. But being that they're all union protected, I would guess that that is why the NFL, you know, just can't come out and say, hey, you guys have to get vaccinated as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out with the NFLPA or whether, you know, the NFL tries to maybe overstep and the union takes a stance where they're going to, you know, they're going to grieve whatever the NFL puts in place for players or wants to put in place for players, or if they even ever come to an agreement on any of it. So, I mean, this is something we, we all know this is what we're going to see now based off the, you know, the 
COVID-19 pandemic, there's going to be employers who are going to require vaccinations. How far will it go? That's what we, you know, we're only, only time will tell that. So we just wait and see how it plays out. But uh, if you, if anybody saw too, I don't know if this, I know basically all Bills fans saw this. I don't know as far as other fans around the league, but Erie County, where which is where Orchard Park is, where the Bills play, they're trying to make it so that they can have a full stadium uh, come fall, but everybody has to be vaccinated. So I'm not. I'm going to touch on that more in the My Hive segment. We're going to get into that a little bit more in detail. Uh, but I just wanted to throw it out there because it is relevant to obviously the NFL pushing you know their memo out to teams. So as of now, yeah, tier one, tier two are expected to be vaccinated. Like I said, unless they have these one of these two reasons. Uh, and if they refuse beyond one of those two reasons, then they'll be banned from personal contact with players. And I would, it said, you know, the, the article I was reading about it when I was gathering more information was, football only restricted areas which is what the sidelines the locker rooms i would think i don't it didn't say specifically but you would think practices things like that and like i said we'll touch more on the buffalo uh have to be vaccinated we'll touch on that more in my hive segment Uh, so we're gonna move along jake paul ben Askren, that fight put everybody's tinfoil hat on on the internet by now, I'm sure everybody has at least seen the replay of the knockout. You know, this is a Ben Askren, a guy who absorbed punch after punch in, in the UFC and then gets one punch by Jake Paul and is too dizzy to continue the fight. So I had a lot of people, you know, stirring with conspiracy theories about whether or not this is a legit fight. Is this just more to push the Jake Paul brand and Triller? I, I saw a couple comments of people. I watched a little bit of it. And I mean, the the whole makeup of the show. And I mean, they're like Snoop's smoking weed at the at the press box. Like it's it, it's really just pretty much chaos on a pay-per-view. But uh, it's it's comical at times, but like, I mean, like I was uh, listening to Oscar De La Hoya, who was also on it. And uh, he had to have been one of the most annoying people with a headset, you know, going play by play of one of the fights. I think it was Frank Mir and whoever he fought Cunningham. I can't remember, but the, just the whole thing, it's just not, you know, it's not professionally made up. It's a very much a, a free for all and do what you want to do. And it's, you know, it's pay-per-view. So it doesn't have to, you know, follow any type of FCC regulations on television, cable television. So it's, it's just not great. I don't think. And I know they're, you know, they're heading more towards doing more of these expo- ex- exhibitions, uh, De La Hoya was talking about how he's going to fight again and he's choosing his opponent and he only chooses the best. And it's just, it's, I don't know, not great. But as far as Jake Paul goes, he just needs to, it's time for him to fight an actual boxer. He hasn't done it yet. 
He's 3-0, three, three knockouts in his quote-unquote pro career. Everybody cheers against the guy. Uh, meanwhile, like I was talking to one of my coworkers about, joke's on us because that dude's making a killing doing these fights and just being this villain who everybody hates him because he's so annoying and so, you know, just full of himself. And But he's laughing all the way to the bank, so... But again, I mean, his last two fights, he fought Nate Robinson, who's never fought before. He's a five foot, what, eight, nine, former NBA player. Knocked him out. Last night, he fights Ben Askren, who in his UFC career was known more. I mean, he's a national champion wrestler out of Missouri. So it wasn't like he. Yeah, I think it was pretty sure it was Missouri. But anyways, I'm. It was boxing and stand-up fighting was never his forte when it came to the UFC. So I just don't. Uh, I'm excited to see Jake Paul fight an actual trained boxer. There's no doubt that he is skilled. I mean, he hits hard. He blew Askren off his feet. Nate Robinson. There's memes going on around about that fight. He looked like you know he he piled him up to straight to sleep. So. But the world's against Jake Paul, I think with good reason at this point. He hasn't really fought anybody, so it seems like this is something he's full-on pursuing, though. So I would imagine his day with, you know, actual boxers is coming sooner than later. So, all right, we're going to move on to the last topic for the opening segment, Jadavion Clowney. I have a pretty strong opinion of this signing. I know a lot of people were very against it uh, or thought, well, they're just getting, they're getting this name. Why are Browns fans so excited? He hasn't done anything valid that the guy got famous off of a, you know, a hit in college that everybody's seen that replay where he just mows the guy down about five yards in the backfield. But I think the Browns, I think this is a brilliant signing one year, 8 million, up to two million more, so it could be up to ten. Two million in incentives. This is a one-year rental, I believe. I don't think you know Clowney's at this point where he's still looking for his long-term deal that he's never got. He's never been able to get the long-term deal. If you look at his past contracts following the rookie deal, 2019, he was franchise tagged by the Texans. The reason they did that was to give him more time to figure out a long-term deal. Well, that never happened. So five months after he signs the franchise tag, which I believe was March 2019, head into August, he's traded to Seattle because there's no extension, no, uh, they weren't unable to agree on terms. So he plays the season in 2019 in Seattle. 2020, he goes the entire offseason without being signed. And then in September, right as the season's getting underway, one year, $13 million with the Titans. So his clock's ticking. And I think this is where the Browns are going to find success with, with Jadavion Clowney. He's not a bad football player. If he can stay healthy, this is going to, this obviously you could say this about anybody, but with Jadavion Clowney, he's missed time in all but one season. If he can stay on the field, He's lined up opposite Miles Garrett. He's clearly, you know, a little bit more known for his defense against the run, which the Browns were ninth in the league last year, which is good. But he's going to improve that number. But I think lining up 
opposite miles and the fact that he knows time's running out for this long-term deal. He's not going to get the money that I think he was looking for in, say, 2019 coming off his rookie deal. But he's still able to get a good four- or five-year contract. He's not that old. I mean, he's been in, I think, since he's probably six, seven years in the league, six years. I just think with the makeup of the Browns' D-line, his motivation based off of him knowing time's running out for this big contract. And again, I say big contract, but I'm not saying he's going to break a record. He's, he's not going to get record money. We all know that. If, it, if that was going to happen, it would have happened already. He's just not worth it, and he can't stay healthy. But he's going to get a big contract. He's going to get paid. So I think this is the perfect opportunity for the Browns. Say, hey, we got you here one year. Go balls out and, you know, thanks for thanks for coming. Thanks for helping us out. That like He could be a guy who puts the Browns defense, you know, back in a better position to get back into the playoffs and win a few games. So, again, I just think that's a good signing. I think that his motivation and everything will will be high because of the fact, like I said, time's running out for that big contract. So, all right, we're going to take a break. I will be back with This Week in Sports History. See you in a few. Let's take a look back at this week in sports history. All right, sports history lovers, we are back with another 10 facts for you. We're going to start off. Number one. In 1860, what is dubbed the first world championship boxing match. This is a 42-round draw, and it was held in a field in southern England. It was illegal. It was bare knuckle. It was USA champ John Heenan, who stood at six foot two, 195 pounds, versus Titch Sayers, who stood all five foot eight, 149 pounds. As I said, this was a 42 round draw. The bloodied and battered Heenan and Sayers exited their corners to begin round number 43 when the police. I would guess they would probably back then been the Bobbies, stormed the ring, breaking up the fight. As I said, it was illegal at the time. Everybody fled to avoid arrest. 
and the match was ruled a draw. Number two. 1910. William Taft becomes the first United States president to throw out a first pitch. I thought that one was interesting because that's something, you know, you pretty see pretty commonly now. So first person to do it, President William Taft, 1910. Number three. 1947. Jackie Robinson starts at first base for the Brooklyn Dodgers, breaking the color barrier that had been put in place in Major League Baseball. Now, if you look into this, there's a lot of dispute whether Jackie Robinson was actually the first African-American baseball player, pro baseball player, I should say. If you look up Moses Fleetwood Walker, six decades prior to, actually played for Toledo, who was then in the National League. Look up his story. It's pretty interesting. I mean, he had a lot of hardships. Obviously, it was like 19 years after uh, slavery that Moses got into pro baseball. He made some good money. He ended up buying a hotel and a movie theater. And it's a good story. So if you get a chance, look up Moses Fleetwood Walker. But again, we always do honor Jackie, who still, you know, is credited for breaking the barrier and all that he did and went through. Number four. 1965. The NFL penalty flag is changed from white to yellow. I think we all can agree that refs need to try to learn how to keep that in their pants a little more often. Penalty flags are, it's kind of putting a damper on football, especially the NFL. So, but 1965 changed the color of it to what we know today. Number five. 1968. The Astros defeat the Mets 1-0 in a 24-inning marathon game. So this probably isn't one of the, I mean, it's not a great historical fact, but the reason I wanted to bring it up is because I actually attended, I'd spoke previously in a different episode about going to a game in Atlanta when I worked in Chattanooga. And that game had an hour and 40-some minute rain delay, the one I went to, and then ended up being a 17-inning game. It was July 6th, 2008. The Braves end up winning the game in the 17th inning, and the game itself was five and a half hours with the rain delay, so I was actually at the stadium from like one-something until you know after eight. It was a long day, but just reminded me of that when I saw that, so I thought I'd throw it in there. Number six. 1989. This is an interesting one that I didn't know about, so I actually did a little bit more reading on this one. The Hillsborough Disaster. So if you haven't heard of that, look it up. Essentially, it is a FA Cup semifinal, Liverpool versus Nottingham Forest. The crowd that had accumulated for this game was so... There were so many people that the police end up opening up this one gate that led to, you know, thousands of fans rushing into this standing room only section called the the central pen. It was behind one of the the nets. Ninety six people trampled to death, seven hundred and sixty six injuries. They canceled the game. They called the game as this was happening because people were flying over the, the wall, injured everything. They made up the game uh, 
later on, you know, just about a short, not even a month later, May 7th, they make up the game. Liverpool wins. Hillsborough disaster. Check that out. Number seven. 1995. Joe Montana retires from pro football. So the reason I'm throwing that one in there is because obviously he was a great, but you're going to see in the next few to come, actually in consecutive order, this week in sports history, three amazing icons left their professional careers. So we're going to move on to the next one. Number eight. 1999. Wayne Gretzky plays his last NHL game for the Rangers in a 2-1 loss to the Pens. So we have Montana retire, 95. Gretzky, 99. Number nine. 2003. Michael Jordan plays his final NBA game. He's a member of the Wizards in Philly. Following the game, he got a three-minute standing ovation in his final time on the court as a pro basketball player. Number 10. 2013. Three killed and 183 injured in the Boston Marathon bombing that took place near the finish line. Everybody knows that story. Uh, It was one that I had actually considered breaking down and talking more about, but I think that, you know, uh, everybody pretty much knows the the story. They made a movie about it, Patriots Day. If you haven't seen it, it's fantastic. Mark Wahlberg, check it out. Uh, Really good movie, but what a horrific event. And, you know, the the town really came together. It was one of those times uh, that you look back, me, especially being a member of law enforcement, if you watch even, you know, the the news segments from following the capture of the one brother who who had remained alive, uh, just the outpouring support for the law enforcement who really like did just did a fantastic job with the investigation, finding the guys and everything. And uh, it's just one of those moments that, you know, I watch it and I see how all the people are super thankful for for the police and just one of those, like I said, one of those things that just, to me, it's why I like doing what I do. And, um, you know, the, the moments you see like that just makes, makes it all seem worthwhile. So that is it for this week in sports history. I am going to give you a bonus fact. I didn't include it. I'm, I'm not going to say it's historic because it just happened, I think, last week. Uh, so 2021. Yadier Molina had to throw this out there. 2,000 games caught with one team. He is the first major league catcher to ever do that. There are six other players who have reached 2,000 games caught total, but never with one team. So Yadier set some history there just, you know, like I said, about a week ago. So I just wanted to throw that in there as a bonus fact. I'm I'm getting into these bonus facts because I like to spoil you guys, like I said. So that'll be all for sports history. We're going to take a break. We will be back with the things that sting.
It's now time for the things that sting. The worst stories in sports, according to Joe. All right, and we have arrived at the things that sting. A few things to go over today. We're going to get us started off with my boy Trevor Bauer. I call him my boy. He is not. I can't stand him. I think he's a douche. But made some headlines this past week in a game against the A's. It was noted around the sports world that umpires were removing some of the baseballs he was using from the game, handing them over to MLB staff. MLB sources later confirmed to The Athletic that several balls Bauer was using in this game were sticky with visible markings on them. Clearly, this is something the MLB is cracking down on. I absolutely love this story, whether it's true or not. The fact that he's making headlines and it's surrounding him makes me incredibly happy because Trevor Bauer was one of the biggest MLB player critics of the Astros cheating scandal. He's criticized Astros pitchers about their spin rate, uh, accused them of things or hinted at that they were doing things, none of which has been proven as far as the pitchers go. So I just love this. I, I am waiting for the outcome of this investigation. The MLB has confirmed they are investigating these. I don't know if they send them to a lab to get tested or what they do. But Trevor Bauer obviously has immediately called it all clickbait and said that, you know, it's bullshit. But, you know, I like to, like I said, I like to reserve uh, my judgment for facts. But in this case, I'm not going to do that. I don't like Trevor Bauer. So, again, whether it's true or not, hilarious to me that he's making headlines for potential cheating. And I really, really hope it's true. Next story we're going to discuss. News breaking following the Masters Tournament. Wayne Player, the son of three-time Masters champ Gary Player, has been banned from attending the Masters for the foreseeable future. Wayne Player, if you, I haven't never really heard that much about, but if you actually look into this guy, Gary's son, he's been in trouble a lot, always up to some shenanigans that uh, draws negative attention to him. So in the Masters opening tournament, or I'm sorry, opening ceremony, while Lee Elder, who was one of the three players who who did the opening ceremony, Lee Elder is being honored, uh, the chairman's, giving his speech about Lee and and all he did for the game of golf. Well, while this is going on, Wayne Player's standing in the background, and he is product placing a sleeve of Encore golf balls. Apparently, this is a no-no, and that, you know, this is something that he would have had to have cleared with Masters planners or, or whatever, Wayne Player says that he he told, uh, I think it was like Golf.com or Golf Digest or something, he he claims that all he was doing was showing the ball that his dad was going to tee off with for the opening, uh, opening ceremony. So Wayne is promoting this golf ball. Uh, his estranged brother Mark tweets out that he's now banned from the Masters, and rightfully so. Apparently these two do not have a good relationship because Mark was – Happy that this happened, said it should have happened a long time ago because of constant shenanigans. Uh, Wayne Player actually spent five nights in jail in Georgia in 2019 for an incident that stemmed from 2018. 
So basically, Wayne Player had a warrant for approximately a year in Georgia for bad checks, and it was regarding the Masters. He was renting a house for two days while attending the Masters. Uh, rented the house for two thousand dollars. There was a he his check bounced, came back with insufficient funds. The homeowners went through a lawyer to try and get restitution. Wayne never res- would respond. Never would respond. Uh, comes back to Georgia, caught by police, five nights in jail, getting this all cleared up. And uh, he, so or so basically, you know, it's just kind of going back to the Masters just hasn't been good to this guy, apparently. Now he can't go back, so maybe that's for the best for him and, and for his family. But poor Gary, probably not the negative attention he wants, so. All right, we're going to head on to the Aaron Donald story. He made headlines this past week being accused of assault. A male by the name of DeVincent Spriggs uh, went to police through an attorney claiming that Aaron Donald assaulted him outside of an after-hours club in Pittsburgh. From what I read, he was going to go to Zone 3, which is the precinct for Pittsburgh police that covers the area that this took place. Uh, it was then even probably 24 hours or maybe 48 hours later, this video surfaces, which is the the incident caught on camera, and it shows, it clears Aaron Donald, so good for him, clears Aaron Donald from this incident, and DeVincent Spriggs actually issues an apology saying that he thought Donald was the one that did this to him. If you haven't seen the photo of DeVincent Spriggs' face, you have to look it up. It it resembles a package of hamburger that you would buy at the store. Uh, He got his ass whooped pretty good. But the video shows Donald actually pulling people off of the guy. So Donald's lawyer uh, issues a statement saying, you know, following the apology that that Spriggs actually started this fight by uh, swinging a bottle at Aaron Donald and then credits Donald for saving Spriggs. Because and, and the video, you know, backs that up. He's he pulls somebody off of Spriggs and they get moving out of the way. So I mean Spriggs is his face looked bad. I could only imagine that if Donald had done whatever happened to him, it probably would have looked worse. And also, what kind of like level of stupid do you have to accomplish to pick a fight with Aaron Donald? Of course, an entourage that, you know, he's going out with in Pittsburgh. And that's, you know, like what the lawyer says, he's swinging a bottle at Donald. Donald's buddies jump to his defense, beat the piss out of this guy. Donald pulls him off. I'm glad that it it has gone this way. I like Aaron Donald. I think he's a true pro, and I think he's the best defensive player in football. But, yeah, DeVincent Spriggs, man. Might want to start looking into some better life choices because you you picked the wrong crew, one, and two, you know, you were wrong. Video proved that. Three, it's Aaron Donald. Why the hell are you trying to pick a fight with him? Have an idea. If we're going to head on to the last portion of the things that sting, the last thing I want to discuss, this will be brief, but it's just something that I'm sure everybody saw it needs touched on the the 
Phillies Braves game the other night, a blown call that was just beyond terrible. Uh, Philly scored the go ahead run in the top of the ninth. Alec Baum called safe at home. It's a bang bang play. So for the for the umpire to get it wrong, you know, as it's live, sure. But you know that's why they bring replay into baseball is to correct some of this stuff. So even after watching the replay, they uphold the call. And if you haven't seen it, look up the video. Uh, when it's slowed down, you can clearly see. It's it's still not even known at this point if Bomb has yet to touch the plate as I record this a week later or whatever, however many days it was. He may have on a second swipe back, but this is after the tag, after his foot goes clearly over the plate. Um, this pissed off a lot of MLB players. They chimed in, Justin Turner, you know, saying, what the hell is the point in us having a replay then? If you're, you're going to slow down the game to do these replays, at least get them correct after the replay. Mike Trout, he tweeted out so bad with a laughing, crying face emoji that, you know. So this is something that you see in other sports too. This isn't just a one time, like the first time we've ever seen it. There's been several NFL calls that even after replay, it's like, well, what are they looking at? They have all these angles. They have time to, now I believe the MLB, I think they're on like a two minute clock that they have to review the play. I'd have to look that up, but I'm pretty sure they're on a time limit at least. Uh, the NFL just kind of seems to go until they get it figured out. But yeah, if if you're going to slow down a game, you know, to correct calls, it would be nice that if if everybody in internet world and sports fan world who saw this replay were like, yeah, that, he's out. How do the guys who get paid to make that decision not see the same thing that we're seeing? So. Check it out if you haven't seen the video. It's pretty bad. But again, won't be the first. It's not the first time. It won't be the last. We see it all the time. I'm still suspicious of the uh, Bills wildcard game against the Colts. A recovered fumble late in the game. Uh, Poyer and Tredavious White make a play on a guy who catches a ball and gets up. He's not giving, you know, if you haven't seen that, look at that too. It's bullshit. But I don't know how they don't, I don't know how they don't reverse that. I don't know how they don't reverse this call in the Braves game, but uh, maybe they could. They should come up with a a way that these umpires or officials or whatever sport it is that they can at least give a statement to the public or to the league as to why they made the call, what they saw, what what the reasoning was. You know, it doesn't have to be during the game, but maybe after the game, it would be nice to hear some of their thoughts on what you know what their reasoning is, but that'll do it for the things that sting. Stick around for my hive. Take a short break.
High High, Joe's very own world of sports. Hi everybody, welcome back to My Hive. A few things to go over today on uh, this week's segment. First, we're going to go back to what I had previously talked about earlier, uh, mentioned anyways, and I said I would get to it more here. Uh, The Bills and their full capacity stadium requiring vaccinations. It's an Erie County deal, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Erie County Executive Mark Polencars essentially came out this week, and what he said is that he wants Highmark Stadium to be open at full capacity in uh, this coming fall. The plan to do that is to limit admission to those who have been vaccinated for COVID-19. Uh, he did a slideshow that he was presenting, and that slideshow, it said, no vaccination, no entry. Uh, there's no mention for fans under the age of 16, which obviously the current uh, approved vaccinations or the current vaccinations that are being administered are not approved for uh, people under the age of 16. So at this point, there was no mention of how that would affect you know those fans, the younger fans that would be coming to the games. So this is big. Uh, this is the first sports venue or or area, I guess, that I've heard of, or a concert venue even that is uh, pl- their full plan ahead is to require a vaccination to attend whatever may be at their venue. Like I said, whether a concert, football game, whatever. Uh, so this is the first I've heard of this. Uh, it was predicted. You know, a lot of people were saying this is something that we could see coming in the future is that vaccinations are required to attend concerts attend now, you know, now in this case, football games. So it's here. Uh, The prediction is here. It's believed to be that some will follow. Uh, I I am curious to see how this all goes. The bills uh, as an organization, the only comment they made following Poland cars announcement was that, like last season, they would continue to cooperate and comply uh, with whatever regulations were, were thrown at them. So this is where it got interesting is that Cuomo, Governor Andrew Cuomo, responds to Paul and Carr's uh, announcement. And he said that the state will make that final decision, not the county. Uh, so he kind of pulled a, a Lee Corso with a not so fast. And he says that the plan is premature. He respects the position, but he just thinks it's too early to lock in that plan at this point. Cuomo also said that the county, it doesn't matter who owns the structure, county, city, if it's private property. He says that what Poland Cars is saying could possibly be not legally correct. And that, again, the state will have the final say. So, they're kind of sparring a little bit in this, which Paul and Cars has come out and said he anticipated that. He disagrees that the state will have the final say and, and actually even furthered that they don't chime in on anything regarding their structures, so why now? So how are they going to track this? I have a lot of questions, and I'm sure most people do, because it's like, again, something we're anticipating. It has not happened yet. So at this point, all we can do is speculate. Questions will be asked. People will wonder things. People will be mad. People will be happy. Uh, You know, how do they track it? That's what I want to know. How are they going to know? Are are they just, do I, is it like showing an ID for beer? 
do I just go up and flash my vaccination card? Because I'm already, uh, I I truly believe that what we're going to see over the next, you know, six months to a year is like an underage person who wants to go purchase alcohol, they acquire a fake ID or if they want to go to a bar or whatever, fake IDs, easy to get online, whatever. Now, vaccination cards is going to be the next, that's going to be the next big thing. People are going to sell these. People are going to buy them. How how do they track it? That's what my curiosity is. Um, what And what does this do to ticket transfers? So if I go on StubHub to buy tickets, they don't know, but the Buffalo Bills previously would not know I'm attending a game. They know that those seats were sold, but they don't know who's sitting in them. So I know they did this uh, diligently in the playoffs where they had limited seating and they did know who was coming to the game. But how are they going to do this with 60 plus thousand people? So there's going to be a lot of planning and a lot of stuff, you know, and and I'm another thing I'm kind of curious about is if this is going to be a state by state thing. I think this could be one of those things that really, really just divides our country to where you have a state that will say Florida, that's kind of remained open for the most part. They don't say, let's just, this is hypothetical, but we're going to say they don't require a vaccine to get into a Dolphins game. Nobody goes to Dolphins games anyways, probably doesn't matter. Safe social distancing wise. I'm just kidding. But seriousness, say Florida doesn't require you, then you have New York who does, or you have, you know, Pennsylvania who says no, or Pennsylvania, Ohio says yes, like whatever. Is this going to be one of those things that's going to, it's going to be, hey, you know, this state you don't have to, that state you do. And people who are strongly opinionated by it, uh, I am very just, I don't, I, I try to stay out of other people's business when it comes to this stuff. If they want to get a vaccine, go ahead. If they don't, don't. Like, I don't care either way. People, what people do with their own bodies and their own lives is up to them. I'm not going to be mad at you either way. I am entering a point in my life where I kind of loathe people who do have just, you know, a, a, a hate for somebody who's, you know, against these vaccines or a hate for somebody who wants to get a vaccine. What somebody else is doing, let them make their own choices. That's where I'm at with it. So, again, I support everybody when it comes to this, except for the people who feel the need to, you know, drag down people for their particular opinion. Regardless, I think that this could be a point where we're going to see, you know, people will refuse to go to Ohio for a concert because they don't require a vaccination or, you know, will refuse to go to a concert in Pittsburgh because they do require one. And, and I'm just using those as examples. It's not that, that none of this has been said. I'm just for the sake of the story, like, you know, are more Bills fans going to fly to Miami to watch a game because they don't need a vaccine there as opposed to going to a home game because they don't want to get a vaccine. I don't know. Again, like Cuomo said, or Cuomo said, premature, 
got to wait it out, see what happens. Time and in his words, he was like, you know, five months is a lifetime right now for what is going on, you know, with this pandemic. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, it's something that I, I think I'm gonna, you know, try and touch on a lot when as more and more, you know, develops, not just with Buffalo, but around, as I said, if it, if it ends up being, you know, state by state where some you do, some you don't full capacity, not full capacity. We'll just try and keep track of all of it. Cause it's, it's interesting to see. I mean, like I said, with ticket transfers, this could be big for companies like StubHub or Ticketmaster or whoever, you know, whoever you seat geek, you purchase your tickets from, you know, how are they going to, if I'm buying from a season ticket holder, you know, what do they have to do? Are they more responsible now to figure out if I, you know, do I have to show them somehow proof to purchase these tickets? Like, I, I just am curious to see how this goes. You know, I, I gathered more the reasoning behind uh, the playoff games where it was limited seating and the reason they wanted to know who everybody was that was there was for contact tracing purposes. Like that would be a, just an absolute nightmare for like those guys who sell tickets for the bills and the reps and, and all those guys, like they probably don't make enough money to get into what they're about to get into where they might be required to literally know the names of all of these people who are attending the game. So again, We'll see how it plays out. Uh, maybe it will, you know, maybe this tactic, if nothing, will encourage more people to get vaccinated. Who, who knows? So we shall see. So we'll get back to that at another time as more comes out. Next story I want to talk about uh, relative to softball. Softball was a big part of my life for like since I was 18. Uh, you know, I got into a slow pitch league with some friends. It turned out to be a great time. None of us were old enough to buy beer. Uh, we kicked a lot of people's asses and we were mouthy and it was a great time in my life. I had a lot of fun with that. And so it really got, I mean, I played softball forever up until then, several games a summer, several different leagues traveling around. So with as far as college softball, I got into that when I did my internship in Chattanooga. Cause one of the things I did was covered UT, you know, the mock softball team. So I, I, followed them pretty close because I was at all the home games recording them and, and broadcasting them over the internet for fans. So this story that came out the other day, I, I it did get a lot of coverage. I say it didn't because I still think it deserves more because this is incredible. North Texas Mean Green Senior, Hope Troutwine, in a road game against Arkansas Pine Bluff, which if you see the very small clip you can find of it, it looks like these the Arkansas Pine Bluff plays in the middle of a field. Like in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there's like cars around. There's really no stands. It's pretty, it looked pretty remote. So anyway, she pitches this road game. 21 batters face, 21 strikeouts. Like this is literally better than a perfect game. It should have its own name. Uh, and the thing is, she's she's the first person they believe the first person to ever do this in NCAA Division One history. There are. A few other pitchers who struck out 21, but they were not perfect games. They had given up hits in between or whatever. And, and Hope has actually done that as well. She struck out 21 in a game against Southeast Louisiana. I think it was in 2020. She allowed five hits and two runs, but she's still. So this is the second time she struck out 21. So, if you know, kudos to her. This is a, a, 
an amazing accomplishment. So I just wanted to give that some attention because if you didn't hear about it, it's a great story. Uh, just good for her. Wow. Uh, I, you know, that sounds like a girl who may have a future moving forward with softball, maybe like team USA or something like that. Cause it sounds like she's got some pretty good stuff. So, so the last thing I just want to add as I wrap up this week's edition of my hive, I want to give a little recognition, a listener of mine, good friend, Josh Scott, his dad, Alan, sinks his first hole-in-one of his lifetime on number three at Pine Acres Country Club. Congrats, Alan. That's a, an amazing accomplishment. Really happy for you. I hope it's something that I get to do. I know that it's you know one of the hardest things to do in sports, and to be able to have said you did it, you know, it's a it's got to be a great feeling. So really happy for you. I am kind of curious what you think's a, a harder accomplishment, uh, the hole in one or having to have Josh as your child, love him to death, huge pain in my ass at Edinburgh. All jokes aside, congrats again. You know, it's shots like that that keep you coming back. So you got one that'll last you a lifetime now. So congrats. Uh, that'll wrap up this week's edition of my hive. Stick around for closing. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Episode 5 of the Beehive Sports Podcast. If you haven't already, check out the Facebook page, the Beehive Sports Podcast on Facebook. You can like, follow, uh, you can share, comment on episodes, whatever you wish to do. Stay tuned next week. I'm going to be recording, hopefully, poolside in South Carolina. I will also be featuring a special guest who's going to call in. He's going to lead us into Derby Weekend. He's a former producer of the Kentucky Derby. Owen Seaton, he's my former uh, internship boss as well. So he's going to be on, uh, giving us some some of the insight into the behind-the-scenes stuff of the Derby, and also talk about his new gig down in Chattanooga for the Chattanooga FC as the chief marketing officer. So stay tuned for that. Uh, until then, take care, be safe, see you soon.